continue with the series of uh, Man, the Image of God. And uh, we have looked in the series so far at uh, two aspects of man, the inward man, that is. We've looked at the will of man, we've looked at the conscience of man. In this particular series, <clears throat> we are looking at the spirit of man. And so we've identified that the scripture does teach us very plainly that there is an outward man, there is an inward man. And the outward man consists of our physical bodies. And we've identified four separate parts to the inward man. And that those parts are the will of man, the conscience of man, the spirit of man, and then the soul of man. And as I said, we are dealing in this series of teaching with the fact of uh, we're dealing with the spirit of man. And we saw in previous teachings that in fact the spirit of man, well in fact the whole of the inner, inward man is an eternal creation of God. And that the, the inward man, will, once created by God, will never cease to exist. Um, even though these, the outward man perishes, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. And so the inward man is the part of man that departs to be in another location when our physical bodies die. And those who believe in Christ, they depart to be with Christ. And those who do not believe in Christ depart to be in Hades, in torment. And so that is um, the eternal nature of the inward man. And then we saw that um, on, on, this, in, on this planet that we reside in now, um, the spirit of man consists of two different states. There are two different categories of the spirit of man. And again, we're concentrating on the spirit of man in this series of teachings, not talking about the other parts of man. And we, we understand that there are two kingdoms on the earth, and the, the kingdoms are the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And the, all unbelievers reside within the kingdom of darkness, and all believers reside within the kingdom of God. And all unbelievers are what the Bible calls spiritually dead. And all believers are what the Bible calls spiritually alive. And uh, we went through some scripture along that line. And one of the scriptures we can look at again is in Luke chapter 9, verse 59 and 60. Our Lord was speaking to uh, a young person. Uh, and he, the scripture says, Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And so you know, we did look at other scriptures, but it's very plain that um, all who are unbelievers on the earth today are in fact spiritually dead. Um, and we also look at the fact that spiritual death and spiritual life is not synonymous with physical death and physical life. And so we can't equate the two because when we look at physical death for argument's sake, we see a, a cessation of existence because the physical body drops down to the ground, it then begins to decay and eventually turns into dust. So the physical body is uh, immobile once it dies. But we saw in scripture that that's not the case with regards to our spiritual death. For spiritual death is in fact um, a condition of, of existence. And uh, so we looked at what spiritual life is and we saw that those who are spiritually alive to God have in fact taken upon themselves the nature of God. And so the spirit of man who is born again has in fact in, uh, taken upon themselves the nature of God. They have become like God. Um, 
And one of the scriptures we looked at in 2 Peter 1, uh, verse 3 and 4, scripture says, As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And uh, so God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, He's done that so that we can become partakers of His divine nature. And so our spirit that is born again partakes of the divine nature of God because our spirit partakes of the very life of God. For God imparts His life to our born-again spirits. And so we saw that to be spiritually alive means to actually partake of the nature of God. And we saw that our spirits have no capacity for any evil anymore because they are now uh, born of God, of the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. That's why John could say quite uh, categorically in his epistles that he who is born of God cannot sin. It's because the spirit of man that is born of God cannot sin. It has no capacity for sin. It only has capacity for good. Now, it doesn't mean that we will all be walking in the, in the reality of that because it, that all depends on the, the condition of our spirit from the point of view of how, how mature we are, how strong our spirits become because most Christians have very weak spirits and because they are weak in spirit and their spirits are still in a babyhood state, uh, their spirits are not able to exert very much influence on their lives. And so they do not live um, as God intended them to live. But those who do grow strong in spirit, uh, their spirits do exercise uh, greater influence on their lives and they are able to walk in the fruit of the spirit. And that is really where the fruit of the spirit comes from. Because that's all that the, the, the spirit of the born-again believer can produce. That's the only fruit it can produce. It has no capacity to produce any evil. It can only produce good. And so we saw that spiritual death is in fact just the opposite. Spiritual death takes upon uh, one who is spiritually dead. Their spirits take upon themselves the nature of death. And everything that is opposite to God is in fact death. And the one who really is in opposition to God is in fact the devil. And we saw what our Lord said about that. He said in John 8 verse 44, you are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. And so that is the, the nature, the spiritual nature of all unbelievers on the earth. They have taken upon themselves the nature of the devil. Um, and they can, uh, their, their spirits now, we're talking purely about the spirit in this series of teachings. We're not touching on the conscience, the will, or the soul. We're dealing with the spirit, which is the essence of man. Uh, for that is the center of man. The spirit of man is, is in fact where his life comes from, where everything comes from. And so for unbelievers, their spirit is dead and has the nature of death in it. And so only, it can only produce the fruit of death. 
And uh, our Lord you know, gave an example, he said, this is what comes out of a man, the evil heart of a man. And he spoke about um, fornication, adultery, a whole lot of evil things that come out of the heart of man. Because the, the, the spirit of the unbeliever has no capacity for any good, because there's no good residing in there at all. It is, there's only death, there is only darkness, and there is only evil that resides there. Now, it doesn't mean that they will all, everyone becomes uh, completely wicked. Uh, unbelievers now I'm talking about. And you need to understand how the conscience of man and the will of man and the soul of man um, ties in in order to uh, understand how mankind, in fact, does function. But nevertheless, with regards to the spirit of all unbelievers, their spirit is completely evil. Their spirit is completely dead, uh, take, taking on the nature of death, and can only produce death um, and everything that is evil. And contrary to that is the spirit of the believer. That spirit is only, uh, can only produce life and can only produce that which is good and the fruit of the spirit, which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and self-control. And so that's the two uh, states of the human spirit on the earth. Remember, we said when we, when we die, the human spirit goes to one of two different locations, continues to exist, just moves to another location, either to heaven or to hell. Um, and so we want to know what causes spiritual death, um, because we understand that to come into the kingdom of God, we are born again. And so we receive then the life of God. But what causes spiritual death? Because something caused mankind to be spiritually dead, that they needed to now be made alive in Christ once again. As our Lord said, you need to be born again. And so we went down to the Garden of Eden to see what actually transpired, because when God created Adam and, Adam and Eve, we saw that they were born spiritually alive. They were created spiritually alive to God. Their spirits were alive. Their spirits had the nature of God in them. And the reason for that was because God was their God and they bowed their knee to God at that time. But we saw that they were born under law. Uh, they were not born under grace, they were created under grace. Um, grace and truth came through Christ Jesus our Lord. Prior to our Lord coming to the earth, grace uh, was not available to mankind. Everyone, um, up until Jesus came to the earth, was born under the law. Whether they were under the law of Moses or living in China and had knew nothing about the law of Moses, they were still born under the law. Every single person born into the earth, physically, um, the spirit comes in, and we've dealt with that slightly, um, is born under the law. They're not born under grace. No one is born under grace. Um, only those who have come into the, the kingdom of God and are born again are then placed into grace. And so different, and we need to understand the concept. And so Adam and Eve were born under the law. The only law that they had was that one commandment God had given them, do not partake of the, the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And that is the one law they transgressed. Now the Lord said to them, when you transgress that law in that day, you will surely die. And that's exactly what happened. In that day, their spirits died. And when I say, when we, and we understand now, when their spirits died, what happened was their spirits transitioned in nature. So whereas their spirits had been spiritually alive and only had capacity for good, 
when they transgressed the law of God, their spirits died and now took upon them the nature of death and only could then produce death from there on out. They took upon themselves the nature of their new father, the devil. As Jesus said, you are of your father, the devil. Now the reason they did that was because they bowed their knee to the, the, the new God of this world. Because God had given uh, Adam dominion over the earth. And when Adam decided as an act of his free will that he would no longer bow the knee to God the Father, he was now going to bow his knee to Satan. Um, Adam made Satan the God of this world. And when our, our Lord was tempted by Satan in the, in the wilderness, uh, one of the temptations that Satan put forward to him was all of the kingdoms of the earth. And Satan said to him, all of this has been delivered unto me. I can give it to whoever I want to. If you will bow your knee to me and worship me, I'll give it to you. And Jesus did not dispute his claim and say, no, no Satan, that's not right. You, you, you're a liar. Because that claim was true. The, the, the temptation was a legitimate temptation. And so Jesus uh, you know, acknowledged that Satan had, in fact, the scripture is very plain to us on the subject, that Satan is the God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. And so he became the God of this world when Adam and Eve bowed their knee to him. Now, when he became the God of this world, Satan, um, Adam and Eve became his captives, his prisoners. And we saw in the scriptures that uh, Satan doesn't allow his prisoners to go free. And we saw that's it. one of the, the, the major differences between the two kingdoms is that in the kingdom of God, God acknowledges the free will of man and never allows the free will of man to be overridden in this, in this life. The free will of man is reigns supreme in the makeup of man. And so God does, is not a dictator. He doesn't force us to do anything. Satan, on the other hand, who is now the God of this world, is in fact a dictator. And he does not allow man to exercise their free will. Because we said, you know, when Adam and Eve realized their mistake, and they obviously realized it very quickly, why couldn't they just charm, uh, change their, their allegiance from Satan and say, God, we want to come back into your camp. We realize we made a mistake, but now we want to uh, come and uh, be under your rule again. They couldn't do that because legally they had submitted to their, um, their um, lives to their new God. And Satan was now legally the God of this world. And they were his subjects, they were his captives. And God could not intervene in that situation. If God could have intervened, he would have, but he couldn't. Because God acknowledges the thrones and dominions and the powers that he gives out to the world. And he doesn't transgress that. So mankind was now in this, uh, this problem because mankind had now died spiritually. Now, when we say mankind died spiritually, we need to understand that um, not everybody dies spiritually at birth. It doesn't work like that. We do not inherit spiritual death. Um, and it's, again, so the scripture show, we showed us, just go back to what actually, how God had to deal with the situation. We were held captive by Satan. All, all who are on this earth, who are in the kingdom of darkness, are held captive by Satan. And legally so. They can, uh, he, Satan has the right to do that. Now he does that by blinding the minds of the unbelievers. He doesn't allow them to exercise their free will because he doesn't allow them to see the other option that is avail available to them. All they see is what he allows them to see. Because anybody in their right mind, if they 
if they're presented with the gospel and they understand the gospel and they're presented with death, uh, you know, eternal damnation, and they understand that, they automatically, as an act of their free will, choose the gospel. But that doesn't happen because multitudes uh, go to hell every day. The reason for that is because Satan is the god of this world and he blinds the minds of the unbelievers so that they cannot see the choice that they have available to them. Now, in the kingdom of light, God never takes away, once we come into his kingdom, God never takes away um, our free choice. We still are able to see the, the pleasures of sin, because the Bible talks about sin being pleasurable, to the flesh, that is. And you get Christians who commit sin all the time because they see that and they want to partake of that. Now, God doesn't blind the believer's mind to the things of the world. God allows us to continue as an act of our free will, he places before us the choice. He places life and death before us. He says, guys, choose life. Don't go down that path, go down that path. But he gives us the choice. Satan doesn't do that in his kingdom. He doesn't give his subjects the choice. They, he only displays this life to them. He doesn't allow them to see the things of the kingdom of God. And so they cannot exercise their free will and say, well, actually, I want you now partake of that. So how did God overcome this problem? He did it through Jesus, obviously. Um, and we saw in the scripture um, in 1 Timothy 2 verses 5 and 6, and also in the gospel, the Lord said he's come as a ransom for all. But it, in that particular scripture, we looked at it, it says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. And so a ransom is paid when people are taken captive. And we looked at the fact that even today you have terrorists that take hostages and they hold them for ransom. Um, and when the ransom is paid, then those people are, are set free. And so that is what happened with us. Jesus paid the ransom that we might be set free so that we were held captive. And now because Jesus has paid the ransom, we can be set free. Couldn't happen before Jesus came. And so that is where, um, that is how God was able to overcome this problem that had been created in that Adam and Eve had bowed their knee to a foreign God and now had become subject to that God. And God couldn't intervene. He did so through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we saw how Adam and Eve died spiritually because they were once alive to God. And then they committed sin and their spirits died. They took up, their spirits took upon the nature of death and upon the, the nature of uh, the new God, um, Satan. But what about everybody else in the earth? Well, we've seen that God is the creator of all things. No one else can create. Satan doesn't have the capacity to create. And so every single spirit of man that comes into the earth is born of God, is created by God and has the life of God and the light of God in them. And that includes every single person that is ever born, no matter what nationality, no matter what religion, um, no matter what race, every single uh, spirit comes from God. And, the, and God imparts His life and His light into that spirit. So how is it possible then that, because everybody has to be born again. So if we're all born alive to God and spiritually alive, our spirits are born with the very life and light of God in them and have no capacity for death. How is it that our spirits die? 
Well, they die in exactly the same manner as Adam and Eve's spirits died, when sin is committed. For death cannot enter except through sin. We're talking about spiritual death now. Uh, the spiritual death cannot occur unless sin occurs first. The book of Romans teaches us that um, in Romans chapter 5 verse 12, the scripture says, Therefore, just as through one man, speaking of Adam, sin entered the world, and death through sin. And thus, death spread to all men. Why? Because all sinned. And so, spiritual death cannot be inherited. No one, we, we cannot inherit spiritual death from anyone. Spiritual death can only occur through sin. Sin has to precede spiritual death. Uh, it doesn't work the other way around. So it's not a case of we're born spiritually dead. We cannot inherit spiritual death from our parents because our spirit comes from God. We saw right at the outset of this teaching that the spirit comes from God. And so every single person born into the earth is born spiritually alive. And the only thing that can kill the human spirit that is born into the earth is sin, as it happened with Adam and Eve. They, they, they committed sin, and only when they committed sin did their spirits die. And so that is exactly what happens to uh, the, anybody on the earth today. The only thing that causes their spirits to die is sin. Now that is why sin has spread to all men. The scripture says in, in verse 12 here, and thus death spread to all men. How? Because all sinned. And so every man does sin. And that is why their spirits die. Um, we cannot inherit spiritual death from our parents. Now we do inherit sin from our parents. So how does that work? It works in, in the book of Romans, um, Romans 7.23. The Bible talks about the fact that, well, not just 7.23, but in that uh, passage of Scripture, these bodies are sinful in nature. And because our, our bodies come from our parents, and their bodies came from their parents all the way back up the bloodline until Adam and Eve is, it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. And so when Adam committed sin, his sin entered, his spirit died, and sin entered into his physical body, into his bloodstream. The sin virus, basically, you can put it down to it, entered into his, his bloodstream. And that sin virus is passed down from generation to generation, even till today. And so every person born into the earth is born into a physical body. Now we said right at the outset, God covers our body, but he uses the materials that are available to him in the earth, which is the cell of our parents. He joins the two cells together, they divide, and the body is formed. The spirit he imparts, and because the spirit is imparted, life comes, and the, and the cells begin to divide. But the cells have sin in them. That sin is there, that sin virus is in there. The spirit inside that body that, that, that is being formed in the womb is born of God and has the na nature of God and has the life and the light of God. But it's been covered by a body that is sinful in nature. But nevertheless, the spirit is alive. But everybody who is born into the earth is born under law. No one's born under grace. Only those who are in Christ are under grace. Everyone else is under law. And so when Adam and Eve sinned, because they were under law, not under grace, the moment they committed sin, 
didn't matter. They only could commit the one sin because there was only one commandment God gave them. But the moment they committed that sin, their spirits died and they, their spirits transitioned from life to death and became, took upon the nature of death. Now, with regards to mankind in the earth, everybody is born under law. And so every single spirit coming into the earth is born under law. But until the age of accountability, their spirit remains alive. The spirit of man does not die. The reason for that is, is because God um, does not hold them accountable for sin. In Deuteronomy 1.39, the Lord tells us that children have no knowledge of good and evil. Now remember, Adam and Eve, when they partook of that fruit, that the fruit that they ate of was the, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And so they, that's when they partook of that fruit, they now have the knowledge of good and evil. That knowledge, we, we, in the previous series we've dealt with, we spoke about, is in fact the conscience of man. And so for the very first time, because the Bible says that when they ate of the fruit, their eyes were opened. And we saw that it's the eyes of their conscience was opened, they now knew that they had committed sin for the very first time. Children, when they're born into the earth, God does not hold them accountable for sin. Even though they're committing sin, because children do, they commit sin, because don't forget, inside the physical body of every child, is the sin virus. And so the natural uh, inclination of the, the, the flesh is to commit sin. And they also get taught to commit sin as they grow up because they live in a sinful world. This world is sinful in nature. And so it teaches us how to commit sin. And so children, as they are brought up, even though they, their spirits have the nature of God and have life in them, uh, they begin to practice sin because it's, sin is flowing through their veins. And they're getting taught sin by their surroundings, wherever they grow up. But God nevertheless does not hold them accountable for sin, for God deems them to have no knowledge of good and evil. But at the age of 13, that's when God says, all right, now you have knowledge of good and evil. God opens the eyes of their conscience for the very first time. And when they commit, the, the very first sin that they commit at that age kills the human spirit. It, there's no fantastic sin that has to be committed that kills the human spirit. Any sin is a transgression of the law. And any transgression of the law, God said, if you, if you eat of this, you will surely die. And all who are born under the law, when they commit sin for the very first time, after they have now have knowledge of good and evil, their spirits die. Just like Adam and Eve did. So you say, why age 13? Well, there's a lot of scripture along the line, but we won't get to, into all of it. But the one that is pretty much the main one is that at age 12, God still referred to his son Jesus as a child. And so Jesus was the perfect man. There is no man that has greater, um, there's no greater man than Jesus. And so God refers to his, his son, the perfect son of God, um, as a child at age 12, and believe you me, everybody on the planet at age 12 is still a child in the eyes of God. And so the eyes of their conscience, God only opens up at the age of 13. When that happens, the very first sin they commit matters not what kind of sin they commit. Uh, the very first one they commit kills their spirit and their spirit dies. And they need to then be born again, spiritually born again. Because all of us were born once into the earth by God. Not physically, yes, but we're not talking. The, the born again experience is a spiritual experience. 
And so it's the Spirit that is born again. And for the Spirit to be born again, the Spirit had to have been born once before. And so the Spirit was born when we first came into the earth. We, our, our spirits remained alive all the way through our lives until we reached the age of 13. At the age of 13, our eyes of our conscience were opened for the very first time. We now had knowledge of good and evil. The very first sin we commit, there's it, our spirit dies. Um, and we take upon ourselves the nature of our new father, the devil. Because when we sin, we are bowing our knee to Satan. We're saying, you're our God. And so we take upon him our nature. I'm talking about unbelievers now. They take upon themselves the nature of the devil. And thus they must be born again. And that is what happens. The spirit of man has to be born again. And so you know, the, 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 the doctrine of original sin is partly true, but it, it's not fully understood because the guys who, who wrote that doctrine or taught that doctrine hundreds of years ago did not understand the concept about man being a spirit being by and large. And so they just took man as the whole being. So remember again, it's under the new covenant we get more revelation, we get to see all these various parts of man so we can understand it and, and, and rightly divide the word of truth. They didn't rightly divide. They just assumed everybody inherited sin from their parents and everybody inherited their spiritual death from their parents. And it was taught, everybody's born spiritually dead. It has to thus be born again, but that's not the case. Everybody's born spiritually alive and for the first 13 years of their lives remain so. Now they could, and they must probably do commit a lot of sin, or all children commit sin, but their spirits still remain alive to God. And because of that simple fact that God says they have no knowledge of good and evil. Age 13, they now have knowledge of good and evil, and their spirits die, and thus they need to be born again. And so we do not and cannot inherit spiritual death from our parents, but we do inherit uh, sin from our parents. And that sin we inherit is through these physical bodies that we dwell in, not through our spirits. Our spirits come from God. He is the Father of spirits. And so a scripture that just highlights this truth for us, Paul understood this concept and he taught it, and uh, the comment he made about it is in Romans chapter 7, verse 9 and to 11. He says, I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin taken occasion by the commandment deceived me, and by it killed me. So he, Paul is not talking about his physical, he wasn't physically um, alive, and then he physically died, and then he came back to life again, not all. He's talking about he was alive once spiritually. He said, I was alive once without the law. But when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. He died spiritually. So when was Paul alive without the law? He was alive without the law when God, as a child, when God said he has no knowledge of good and evil. And so no law was applicable to uh, Paul. Um, and no, children are not, they're born under the law, but their law is not, they're not held accountable for the law. And he says, when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And so for the very first time when the commandment came, when now God said, okay, now you have knowledge of good and evil. And the commandment came, whatever it was, sin revived and Paul died. And so that's, Paul understood the concept very clearly. And that concept we need to understand very clearly. Um, and so although children do commit sin, um, 
it is not God's will that children should commit sin. And it really, and God holds us accountable for the way we bring children up because they're His and they are His children. They're, they're spiritually alive. And so every child born into the earth from, the, from conception until the age of 13, if they were to die physically, their spirits would go straight to heaven and have always gone straight to heaven right from the time of Adam. They never went into Abraham's bosom, but you know, that's a, uh, just an aside. But every so, um, all the abortions, all uh, miscarriages, every child that has died from the time of Adam up until today and again until our Lord returns, from conception until the age of 13, if they were to die and if they do die, they go straight to heaven because they are born of God. Their spirits are perfect. Just like the born again spirit is born of God. And so when we die, we're absent from the body and present with the Lord. Uh, children, exactly the same thing. When they die, their spirits are absent from their bodies and present with the Lord in heaven. And so our Lord holds us accountable for teaching children to sin because it's not His will that they should be taught to sin because they're His. And just one scripture we can look at because we're not going to get into that. I have a whole series on, on um, of such is the kingdom. Um, teaching about this concept, but uh, you know, we just needed to touch on it so we can understand because we want to know what happens. Why do people need to be born again? It's because at age 13 their spirits die, and so they take upon them, themselves the nature of the devil, and now they, their spirits have to change and they have to be born again. It's a spiritual rebirth. Um, and so the scripture is in Matthew 18, verse 6. Our Lord says, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. And so the Lord is very protective over children because they are his. Um, they're born of God. They're created by God. And he does not appreciate the world teaching his creation, his children, to sin. And uh, that's the, 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 the warning he puts out to the world. He says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me. Now, it's interesting, our Lord says that they, these little ones believe in him. Well, no matter where they are, children believe in God. Um, that's their natural capacity, because that's, what, that's all their spirits can do, because their spirits are spiritually alive to God, so they believe in God. Um, but the world kind of you know, dampens that as they grow up. And so that brings us up to speed, uh, to where we want to get to on today's topic. We, uh, we, I want to concentrate on today's topic. We're not going to get through it. We'll get through it as much as we can. On the, the sacrifice that Jesus uh, paid for us um, and made for us. Because that which our Lord Jesus did on the cross, there, there's so much to it. There, there are so many different dimensions of what he actually accomplished for us on the cross. Um, and we, we touched on the fact that he paid the ransom for us, that we could be delivered from the kingdom of darkness. But we understand the concept that Jesus, um, through the blood of the Lamb, our sins are washed clean and our sins are forgiven us. But sin, having your sins forgiven alone cannot save us because if that were the case, the Old Testament saints could be saved because their sins could be forgiven by God. That's very possible. Jesus, when he walked on the earth, said, your sins are forgiven you. And Jesus didn't lie. When he forgave those, that person their sin, that's it, their sins were forgiven. But 
forgiveness of sin alone is not um, sufficient for in order for us to be saved. Why do I say that? Because it's, it's one thing to deal with the sin we've committed, but God also had to deal with the sin nature. Remember, we have to be born again. Because our, the spirit of the unbeliever, the, the nature of the unbeliever is spiritual death. Can, it only has capacity for evil. It has no capacity for good. So as often as God forgives the sin of the unbeliever, they go out and continue to commit more sin. Because that's all they can do. And so God had to change that. God had to change the, the nature of the sinner. He couldn't just forgive the sin of the sinner. He had to change the nature of the sinner in order for us to be saved. Now, sins are forgiven. We need to preach that and teach that, and that's true. Um, Ephesians 1.7 uh, tells us that our sins were forgiven when we accept Jesus Christ as Lord. But God has to change our nature. Um, and in order for him to do that, he had to send his son, Jesus. Now, we've stated, now I, I trust you've understood the concept up to now, that everybody born into the earth is born under law. Now, again, don't get confused with the law of Moses, because people straight away think, well, what, that's the law of Moses. So what about the guy in the, in, in the Amazon jungles? Never heard about Moses. Um, how can he be born under the law of Moses? Because he wasn't born under the law of Moses, he was born under the law. The law that everybody is born under in this world is the law of God. And the law of God gets transgressed when we transgress our conscience. For our conscience, and you have to go back on the series and the teaching and the conscience to understand this concept. Our conscience is given to us by God to teach us to discern between good and evil. And so... The conscience says to you, you can do that, you can't do that. Now, where does the conscience get that information from? It gets it from the law of God. Because our conscience is uh, driven by the law of God. And so the law of God says, thou shalt not kill. All right? The conscience agrees with that because that's the driving motivation behind the conscience. It doesn't, it, it uh, convicts the person who wants to go out and commit murder. But it excuses the person who wants to go out and do good. And so that's what the conscience does. So the moment anybody on the planet does anything that is contrary to what God deems to be good and does what God deems to be evil, because that is the deciding fact of God. He decides what is good and what is evil in the world. And so anybody who chooses to go do evil and reject good, they're overriding their conscience given to them by God. When they do that, they transgress the law of God, whatever one it is. So don't get hung up on the law of Moses because we're talking about the law of God. And so it's actually the law of the conscience, you can really say, that they transgress. And so everybody born into the earth is born under the law of conscience. I'm just going to put that in there just so that you can understand the concept and not get hung up on the law of Moses. So everybody's born under law. And everybody, because everybody's born under law, the moment they commit sin, their spirits die because sin kills the human spirit. Now, that, remember we said children commit sin all the way up to the age of 13. Their spirits never die. Why is that? Because God doesn't hold them accountable for uh, their sin. Because he says they have no knowledge yet of good and evil. 
when they get to 13, conscience, eyes of the conscience is open, they now have knowledge of good and evil, and so the very first sin they commit is spirits die. And that is applicable for every single person on the planet. Okay, so mankind has to be redeemed from that condition. So how does God do that? Well, He does it by sending His Son into the earth, born under law. Jesus was born under the law. Now we think, okay, well, He was born under the law of Moses. Again, you need to get your mind around this fact that when, when this, under the New Testament, when it talks about the law in certain contexts, and this context specifically, and we'll read the scripture now, he's not talking about the law of Moses, although the law of Moses is applicable because God added the law um, because of transgression in the earth. But he's talking about God's law, okay? And so Jesus was born under the law. Now remember what we said, whoever is born under the law, when they commit sin, the very first sin they commit is spirits die. It kills, sin kills the spirit. Now, we alluded to it earlier, and I did mention it, when we come into the kingdom of God, remember the Bible teaches us that grace and truth came through Christ Jesus our Lord. The Gospel of John teaches us that, and the Epistle of John. And when we are born again, we, we're placed into grace. Now, this grace is a different state, and only the church resides in grace. Only the body of Christ resides in grace. Now, part of what grace is, and I'm just digressing slightly here so we can understand this concept of the law, part of what grace is, because there's a whole lot of different dimensions to grace, but one part of that the dimension of grace is, is that grace is like a covering that protects my spirit. And so what grace does, because Christians commit sin. Now, if Christians were under law, the moment a Christian committed sin, the spirit would die, because sin kills the human spirit. So, because Christians are under grace, they commit sin, but when they do, it does not impact their spirit. So it's almost like when the child is growing up. The children commit sin right from the time they're born until the age of 13. They're committing sin all the time. But it doesn't impact on their spirit. Their spirit remains alive. That's like a period of grace, really, that they have. The church, the, the born-again believer, is under a, a grace covering. And so when we commit sin, our spirits remain alive. Our spirits do not get affected by the sin that Christians commit. And so that's one of the things that we need to understand. Now that gets abused. We understand it because Christ, uh, Christians run with that and they say, Oh, this is great. I can just commit as much sin as I like because... I'm still alive. My spirit doesn't die. I, to be absent from the body, I'm going to be present with the Lord. And that's so true. But it's such a, uh, a perversion of the truth. And it, it, you know, Paul says, you know, make no provision for the... Uh, Peter says, don't use um, this liberty as a cloak for vice. And Paul would be, talks along the same lines. That we mustn't abuse this grace that we're under. And so that, that can happen. But nevertheless, the, that, that is the principle of what grace does. One of the aspects of grace is that it keeps the human spirit alive, even though they commit sin. But for those who are not under grace, and that is everybody outside the body of Christ, they're under law. 
And so when they commit sin, their spirits die. Now once their spirit dies, that's it, it's dead. Uh, you can't die again. The spirit doesn't die every time you commit sin again. You die once, that's it. Your spirit, your nature changes straight away. And that spirit now takes on the nature of the devil. But Jesus was born under the law. And so if Jesus had committed any sin, no matter what sin it might have been, his spirit would have died. Uh, we need to understand that because he had to take our place in order for him to be able to redeem us to God. And so in Galatians chapter 4, verse uh, 4 and 5, the scripture says, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Let's talk about the whole world. Jesus redeemed the whole world, not just the children of Israel. Um, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And so he was born under the law so that he could redeem us who were under the law. And he could do that because he never once committed any sin. He had the capacity to commit sin. He could have committed sin. If he couldn't commit sin, then everything that Jesus did was a fraud. But that's not the case. The Bible says he was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. And so Jesus could have, the temptations in the, in the, that he incurred in the wilderness were legitimate temptations. And he resisted sin, even to the um, um, shedding of blood through his paws. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane. The Bible says, you guys haven't yet resisted sin uh, to the point of shedding blood. Yes, our Lord did. So don't get hung up about your, your, your temptations that you go through. Our Lord really went through some rough temptation. But never once did he ever commit sin. But Jesus had to become our substitute. And so that's what God did. Because don't forget, we say forgiveness of sins is good and must happen. But it's not good enough to get us into the kingdom. We, our nature has to be changed. And so Jesus has to become who we were and we could become who he is. And that has to change. And the only way Jesus could get to become who we were, he had to be like we were. And so he had to be born under the law. He had to be born in a, a situation where if he, he could commit sin and he could die spiritually. And if that was the case, well then that was it. Mankind would be completely lost because the Son of God would have then uh, been lost. And so it was possible. We say that's impossible. No, it was. It was possible. Because don't forget, Jesus came to the earth as the Son of Man, not as the Son of God. He laid aside all of his uh, mighty power and glory when he came to the earth. As, as the Son of God. He came to the earth as the Son of Man. He had to become like one of us. And he had to be tempted just like we are. And he had to have the ability to be able to sin just like we do. He, but he never did. So he overcame sin in the flesh because he lived a sinless life. But he had to be born under the law. Now the same rule applied to Jesus up to the age of 13. In that, you know, if he committed sin at that stage, God would have uh, deemed him to have no knowledge of good and evil, and he would not have been held accountable. But that's still, even at that time, Jesus never committed any sin. And so he lived a sinless life from, a, from birth through to the time that things changed, because things did change at the end of our Lord's life. And uh, the scripture we'll look at is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Scripture says, for he, this is talking about God the Father, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, 
to be what? To be sin for us. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So there's the substitute that kicks in, which has to, has to take place. Jesus never commits any sin right up until the Garden of Gethsemane. At the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, He resists the very last temptation to commit sin, which is, you know, Father, there, is there any other way we can do this? And He says, not, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And so Jesus, was, and that's when he was um, um, sweating blood through his pores. Now that can happen. It's a, it's a, it's a phenomenon that, that, science, that med, the medical world knows. Um, people under great stress um, can and do uh, sweat blood through their pores. And our Lord was under great stress that night because of what he knew he had denied her. And you know, he really was, you know, he, in the natural, he just didn't want to do it. And so he was saying, Father, you know, all things are possible for you. Is there any other way we can get this done? And you know, God said, no, so this is it. And so he said, okay, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And so he bowed his knee to the Father. And he, he, the Bible teaches us he was obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Um, and you know how close it got? In the book of uh, Psalms 119, our Lord says, they almost made an end of me on the earth. It came that close. I mean, we don't understand just what pain and, and agony our Lord actually did go through. The Bible says he was marred more than any man. Um, and so he, he was really, you know, the, the, the false te teaching that's out there about the 39 stripes that our Lord, no, not at all. Our Lord was whipped to shreds. He, he said, I can see all my bones. Um, when, when the Romans whipped a person with a scourge. Uh, they never stopped at 39. They were not Jewish uh, adherents of the law. They were Gentiles, and they were out to, to do, do as much damage. They would scourge a person to within an inch of their life before they crucified him. And, and so our Lord really went through tremendous amount of abuse and pain. Um, and so he says in the, in, the, in the book of Psalms, go read it, he says, they almost made an end of me on the earth. It, it, it got that close. So, our Lord takes upon us, upon Himself, what? The sin of the world. God the Father places the, the sin of the whole world. Now, we don't understand how that's possible, but it is possible. God can do it and God did it. Upon His Son, He takes every single sin, past, present, and future, of everyone, and places that on His Son. And when He does that, what happens? Remember? Jesus was born under the law. And so when, and, and what comes through sin? Death comes through sin. Jesus dies. Not physically, he dies spiritually. His spirit dies. He becomes who all unbelievers are. He takes upon, his spirit took upon their nature. Because he, his, he took upon their sin. And the moment that happened, his spirit died. And he became subject to death. Now, who had the keys of death and Hades prior to our Lord going to the cross? Satan. He had the keys of death and Hades. When our Lord was raised from the dead, he appears to John in the book of Revelation. He says, Behold, I have the keys of death. I was dead, I'm alive, and I hold the keys of death, death and Hades. And so 
Jesus now has those keys. But before Jesus went to the cross, Satan held those keys. And so when Jesus was made to be sin without sin, his spirit, because he was born under law, and he di his spirit died. When that happened, he became subject to the God of this world. Satan now became his master, kind of. And Satan now had, could exercise authority over him. And Satan couldn't wait to get him into the lowest pit of hell. Because don't forget, although God cast into hell, Satan was still the... Mm, what's the word I'm looking for? He was still the, the keeper of hell. Hell belonged to him. That was his domain. He had the keys of death and Hades. Jesus took them away from him. But before, up, in, up until this time when Jesus goes to the cross, Satan is still holding those keys. And he's not letting his prisoners out. They're his prisoners. Why? Because he's got the keys and he doesn't let anyone out. And so now he sees the Son of God because he knows <coughs> that Jesus is the Son of God. He doesn't understand the concept about Jesus being the Son of Man, because remember in the, in, the, in, the, in the wilderness he keeps tempting Jesus as the Son of God. He doesn't understand this truth about this being the Son of Man. It's, it, it's hidden in God. Remember we said in the, in the book of Corinthians, I think it's 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians, the scripture says, two, uh, uh, verse, uh, chapter 2, he says that, had the rulers of this world known what was happening, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. And so Satan didn't understand what was going on. God was doing what he had planned all along. And so his son dies spiritually. Satan sees that. All the angels in Satan's realm see that. They see that happen. They see that he now takes upon himself the nature of death. And they recognize he's now in our control. And so they can't wait to get him down into the pit of hell because that's where they can now torment him for all eternity because they've got the Son of God. And so you know, Satan now sends him for crucifixion and um, gets him killed as soon as he can with the, the, the horrible death that our Lord goes through and takes him down into the pit of hell. And he now exercises authority over the Son of God. And the scripture, and we can pick that up, is in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. The scripture says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. For, the, for what purpose? For the suffering of death. Now, I'll put in the word now, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God might taste death for everyone. And so for, for a period of time, for a very short period of time, the Son of God became subject to Satan, who is the God of this world, and who has the power of death and Hades, and had the keys of death and Hades. And that had to happen, because the Bible says that through death, Jesus destroyed him who had the power of death. He, Jesus could only destroy him who, who had the power of death through death. He had to die to be able... Remember I said, in, I think yesterday's teaching that Jesus was in fact God's Trojan horse um, because the walls were up and no one could get in and the captives were held behind the walls and Satan wasn't going to let anyone in or let anyone out but what God did was he put his son in the form of the Trojan horse and Satan took the Trojan horse into his kingdom um, now Satan sees Jesus die spiritually 
And so you know, he's still thinking he's committed sin. He doesn't know what sin he's committed, but he, he, he thinks in his mind, this son of God has committed sin, and that is why he's died, and that is why now he's subject to me and subject to death. But he doesn't realize that Jesus has died because the sin of the world has been placed upon Jesus, not his own sin. Jesus didn't commit any sin. And so Satan now takes um, Jesus into the pit of hell, the lowest pit of hell, by the way, um, and causes him to suffer in the lowest pit of hell, thinking that he's suffering for his sin, but he's not. He's suffering for the sin of the world. And God the Father is pouring out his wrath on his son for the sin of the world. And Jesus is incurring our punishment. And he has tasted death for everyone. Remember the scripture says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so Jesus took away the sin of everyone. He also tasted death for everyone. Now this is another concept we also need to understand. We're going to get to understand it for the rest of this teaching. Uh, he tastes death for everyone. Um, and the book Revelation 1.18 talks about the fact that death and Hades were a part of, of uh, Satan's kingdom at that, at that time. So what is this death that Jesus tasted for everyone? It's not physical death. Although Jesus had to die physically, the reason he had to die physically was so that he could get into Satan's kingdom and he could go into his uh, domain. And so he was, for that little while, placed, made a little lower than the angels. The angels that God, that, that the scripture is talking about, is Satan and his angels, because now they could exercise authority over the Son of God, and they could for that period of time, while Jesus was paying the price for our sin. But he tastes death for everyone. So what is the death that he tastes for everyone? It's not physical death, because if he had tasted the de uh, physical death for everyone, then physical death has been done away with and no one needs to die anymore. But that's not the case. Everyone is appointed to die. The Bible teaches us, for man is, it's appointed unto man to die once, and after that, the judgment. And so physical death is a part of life. Um, so that's not the death that Jesus tastes for everyone. But nevertheless, he does taste death for everyone. Um, Hebrews 9.27 says that, you know, it, it's appointed for everyone to die once, and after that, the judgment. Um, the physical death that our Lord incurs condemns sin in the flesh. And that's in Romans 8.3. You can go read it. That's how Jesus dealt with sin in the flesh. And that's another aspect uh, that we deal with in another series of teachings. But we're dealing with the spirit of man today. Um, and so everybody, Jesus had to die for everyone. Let's have a look at a scripture that teaches us that truth again. In 2 Corinthians 5. 14 and 15. The scripture says, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, and Jesus died for all, then all died. And he died for all. That those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So Jesus didn't incur my physical death, because if he did, I wouldn't have to die physically, but I still have to die physically. Jesus also never incurred my spiritual death because had he incurred my spiritual death I would never have had to die spiritually but we've seen through the scripture that we all die spiritually um, and that's why we have to be born again and so there is a spiritual death that every single person on the planet incurs 
um, and have to incur because everybody born on the planet is born spiritually alive and everyone dies spiritually and then thus everybody needs to be born again <clears throat> and so Jesus didn't die my spirit he didn't die my physical death and he didn't die my spiritual death because I will die spiritually and I did die uh, I will die physically sorry and I did die spiritually so Jesus has not incurred either of those two deaths for me but nevertheless the scripture says that he died for all and if he died for all all died and so there is a, a, another death that I am subject to which Jesus died for me and there's another death that the whole world is subject to that Jesus has died for us so what is the death that Jesus has died for us um, the death that he died for us is in fact the, our spiritual death uh, let's look at the scripture Romans chapter 6 verses 3 to 8 the scripture says or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were Jesus were baptized what into his death therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father even so we should also walk in newness of life for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection knowing this that our old man was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with it we should no longer be slaves of sin for he who has died has been freed from sin now if we died with christ we believe that we shall also live with him and so there we see that our old man dies with christ and so our old man was in fact spiritually dead because i was spiritually dead before i even met christ that old man dies again because the scripture says that we were our, our old man was crucified with him and it says now if we died with christ and we were baptized into his death so the spiritually dead person incurred a second death when they were baptized into christ so what is the second death well the book of revelation teaches us that there are in fact two spiritual deaths that people have to incur there's the first spiritual death everybody dies spiritually and thus needs to be born again but there is a second death and that truth is revealed to us only in the new testament again we have revelation knowledge given to us um, in the new testament that old testament says didn't have and even in the book of revelation Peter and Paul and, and the other apostles didn't have that revelation because it was only revealed to John. And so the church has far more revelation today than even the early church had. And so the, the scripture we can look at is in Revelation 20, verse 13 and 15. The scripture says, The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades was cast into the lake of fire, this is the second death and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire and so there is a second death that has to be incurred by mankind and that second death is this lake of fire and brimstone now jesus when he died for everyone this is the death he incurred for everyone this is the death he tasted for everyone and so we do not have to partake of the second death because Jesus has partaken of it for us. 
and he has died for everyone. That means everyone. But not everyone partakes of the salvation offered to us. And so, everybody who is in Hades today is spiritually dead because they died at the age of 13 and their spirit, that is the, their spirit was spiritually dead and remained spiritually dead throughout their life and at the end of their life they went into Hades. They're all spiritually dead today. But they have not yet incurred the second death. Only those who are judged at the end of the age will be thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And it is only those who are not written in the book of life who incur or who are subject to this death. So everybody who is in Hades today, their names are not written in the book of life. And they will incur the second death. We, who have accepted Christ as Lord, have died with Christ. And so we have experienced our second death in Christ. He did it for us. And so we are not subject to the second death at the end of the age. Because we've accepted Christ and we have been baptized into Christ. Now, let's go back and look at that scripture. For as many as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. Who have been baptized into Christ? Those who have accepted Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. The whole world is not baptized into Christ. Only those who accept Jesus as Lord are baptized into Christ. Now, when we're baptized into Christ, we're baptized into His death. His death is, in fact, our second death. And so everybody is able to be baptized into Christ and thus avoid the second death. But not everybody accepts that. Most people reject that. They say they don't need that. And so because they have rejected the sacrifice that was paid for them in that Jesus died their second death, they are now subject to the second death because their names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And so everybody who's in Hades today, uh, their names are not in the Book of Life and they will thus be subject to the second death. And we are not subject to the second death. Revelation 26 says, Blessed and holy is he who has part where in the first resurrection over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And so physical death, everybody incurs. The first spiritual death, everybody incurs. It is the second death that we do not have to incur because Jesus Christ our Lord incurred that death for us. And if we choose to believe that, God baptizes us into the death of His Son. And because we have now been baptized into His death, we've been raised together with Him. And the second death has no power over us. And we're no longer subject to the second death. But all who refuse to accept the sacrifice of the Son of God, they are, remain subject to the second death. And they will incur the second death. They incur physical death, for everybody incurs the physical death. They have incurred the first death because everybody incurs the first death. First, first death because spiritual death it is, because everybody is born under law. And when they sin under law, the spirit dies. So that's the first spiritual death. And everybody, not, but not everybody is subject to the second death. Only those who refuse to accept the sacrifice of Christ. But if we choose not to accept the if we choose to accept the sacrifice of Christ, God baptizes us into Christ's death. And he, the death he incurred for me and he tasted for me is my second death. And so I am now 
no longer subject to the second death. My spirit is now made alive in Christ. And so we're trying to get our mind and, and to understand what our, our Lord has actually done for us. And it's important for us to understand these, because again, as I say, it's only in the, in the book of Revelation we hear about the second death. It's never mentioned before in Scripture. But because we know about it, we can understand how is it possible that Jesus has tasted death for everyone. The death that Christ tasted for everyone, not our physical death, not our first spiritual death, because physical death still occurs. Everybody has already died spiritually before they partake of Christ. So it wasn't that. It is our, the second death that Jesus tastes for everyone. Now, it wasn't his second death. It was our second death. Remember, he's our sacrifice. And so we don't have to partake of it because we have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We're going to end the teaching on that point today.